Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Three steps of saying no to our flesh. Now you can't do this unless you're a Christian. But when you are a Christian, then you certainly can do this. The first step is to know that we are no longer under sin's control. In other words, when I become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in me and gives me the power to say no to that situation in my life. And by the way, I always need that ability because I am tempted all the time, as you are, with all kinds of things in my life. If you're a believer and have children or grandchildren, you've probably thought about how important it is that your kids are brought up in a godly home. But more poignant than church or Sunday school is the example you set with your relationship with the Lord. Is it visible to them? Consider what your actions say to them. As we'll see today, Jehoram was a godly king, but what his son picked up on was not his faithfulness, but his compromises. If your failures are witnessing more to your children than your righteousness, it's time to make a change. There's nothing more valuable than to pass on a godly heritage to your children. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 31, with part one of our message entitled, Walking Away from God's Love. go through a lot of crazy names, big long names, you know, it's not like Jack and Sarah Zoo, Jehoshaphat and whatever. These are real people who lived on this earth who had real problems. You'll see real people, you're going to see a real God, and you're going to see a real enemy. So that's why I encourage you, sometimes we read this, we go, oh, nice story. No, this happened, and it's for a purpose. And as we go through it, God will make it practical to all of us. But don't forget, as we're going through this, these are real people who learn lessons a hard way. We're not much different. But the better way to do it is to learn from them. Verse 31. So Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. Remember Israel, as a nation, was divided into two nations. They kind of had a civil war, Judah and Israel. He was 35 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 25 years. His mother's name was Azuba, daughter of Shilhai. He walked in the ways of his father. In other words, he followed the pattern of his father, Asa, and did not stray for them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat, just summing up for you, because we leave him now after these 25 years, except for a little postscript here. He had initiated during his time in in Judah, many spiritual reforms. He had sought God's help. He had sought God's strength. He reigned with the power of God. He brought with that power a reliance on God. And as we saw, God finally came when the, when the battle came and God said, you just stand and watch me win the victory. So he had some wonderful things in his life. The kingdom was strengthened. The kingdom was blessed under his reign. But 
we'll see some issues. Look at verse 33. The high places, however, were not removed. And the people had still had not set their hearts on the God of their fathers. The other events, we don't need to worry about verse 34. What does verse 33 mean? It means this. You've heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, what is this talking about? Leaders, this godly king, obviously had a heart for God. He had challenged the people to do the same. But it's up to each individual to really follow through. So what you see here is what we've talked about. We cannot force people to have a heart after God. We can't change anybody. I can't. So what happens here is this, and this is why it's encouraging. These are thousands of years ago. Same people. Same kind of nature. We'll see in a moment. This king totally turned his country upside down. Let's say that could happen. Be a wonderful thing. But everybody wouldn't go for it. You see, everybody has to make up their own mind. And that's what we see here. The high places, some people say, well, we're going to leave that up there in my area because, you know, we want to be closer to God. The high places were always pagan places. He tried. He put as many things as he could in, but some people just don't go for it. So don't get discouraged, leader. And don't get discouraged, person, if you're praying for a lost loved one. Keep praying. Only God can open their eyes. A certain percentage of people are going to come to the Lord. Others are just not going to come. Now, we don't know who that is. God does. We don't. So that's why we keep praying. That's why I keep teaching. Don't be discouraged tonight. This king did wonderful things, and yet some things just didn't change. Now, later, Jehoshaphat, here's a little postscript. That's the but part. Not only negative that not all the people changed, but now we see another weakness with King Jehoshaphat. Later, King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, made an alliance with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who was guilty of wickedness. Here's one of those unequally yoked relationships again. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. After these were built at Ezion-Geber. Uh, Ezion, son of you know, whatever, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have made an alliance with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. The ships were wrecked and were not able to set sail to trade. So here's Jehoshaphat again. He seems to have this weakness that we saw all through his kingdom. Even though we've read tonight, he was a guy after God's own heart. He had this weakness as as the Bible tells us, we have this besetting sin in us. He seemed to have this weakness to always make these alliances with people that, close alliances with people that didn't serve God. He was unequally yoked. He got into trouble for it many times. And of course, you remember Ahab killed, got killed for it, the wicked king, because of that alliance. And, and Jehoshaphat was saved. Well, here's another one right toward the end of his life. He, he does another one of these crazy things and he makes these, this agreement with this, with this evil king of Israel, wicked king, and God says, you think you're going to have a nice partnership making boats? I'll take care of you. Look what happened again. And, and The ships were wrecked and were not able to sail. You see, God's judgment came. Don't ever move ahead of God. Because if God's gracious to you, when you do, 
He'll destroy your plans. You say, well, what, what kind of a guy is that? He's trying to protect us. So don't move ahead with God. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't compromise. Learn the lesson from what you just read tonight. King Jehoshaphat was a good guy. He's not a perfect guy. He loved God, but he always had this weakness. He's always kind of compromising in his relationships right to the end of his life. And because of that, you're going to see in a moment as we go with his son, it brought some, some relationships, some things that would fetter out after he died that his son would pick up on, things you and I wouldn't want to pick up on. Now, we go to chapter 21. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, was buried with them in the city of David, and Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, Jehoram is coming in. As you know, that succession took place. Jehoshaphat is done. He was basically a good king, just a couple weak areas. Now, Jehoram comes, and verse 2 is a very interesting verse. Jehoram's brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, and you can read the brothers' names. Good luck with it. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father had given them many gifts of silver and gold and articles of value, as well as fortified cities in Judah. But he had given the kingdom to Jehoram because he was his firstborn son. What you see here is, is important. The kingdom was left to the firstborn, but he gave gifts and cities to all of his other sons. It's important tonight as parents that we leave a godly heritage for our children. You see, he didn't only leave them a city. He didn't leave, only leave them some money. You're going to see in a moment, he left him his life to look at, to pattern after. I think there's more that we need to leave as heritage. Not only that we're brave people and that we lay our life down, but and it's fine to leave money and possessions and all those things to our kids. If you have them, that's fine. I think you just have to be careful how you do that. But really what you want to leave is a spiritual heritage. That's the most important thing in any of our lives. I'm here tonight in large fact that I had godly parents. Now many of you didn't have that privilege, but you've come to the Lord in spite of that. But I'm here tonight because of that. And uh, I had a wonderful godly... When my dad left, he left me like nothing. I mean, he's a pastor, so he didn't have a lot of material things. Doesn't matter. He left me the most important thing at all, an example how to be a servant for Jesus Christ. Much of what I am, obviously due to the Lord, but due to Him. So as you're thinking, grandparents are saying, many of our grandparents now are raising our kids. You know that in this country. It's just the way it is. So you have to be godly. You have to leave them here. Forget about the stocks and whatever. That's fine. That's not the deal. The stocks are going to burn. We already saw that. You leave them a godly heritage. That's what really matters in our life. Verse 4. Now when Jehoram established himself firmly over his father's kingdom, watch this verse. He put all his brothers to the sword along with some of the princes of Israel. And we thought this world we live in today was unique because of mass killings. What happened here? Well, he, he was jealous. He had danger of the power, the lust for power. He went and killed all his brothers so that he had no threat to the throne. Now, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became a king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. Watch this verse. He walked in the ways of the king of Israel. When you think about the split nation, just remember this normally. It doesn't hold always, but Israel is basically always pagan and negative. Judah was quite often godly. 
So when you see he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, you know what kind of a king he is. He's the king of Judah, but he's walking in the king of Israel. As the house of Ahab had done, for he had married a daughter of Ahab. And this king of Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now why did he marry a daughter from this pagan nation of Israel when his father was godly? Because his father made that unholy alliance and made it for marriage and made it for safety. So King Jehoshaphat really caused this poor foundation in his life. And what happened is Joram, the new king of Judah, had married Athaliah, one of the daughters of the king Ahab of Israel, whose mother, a name you'll recognize, Jezebel. That's his mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. That's a tough mother-in-law. Now, notice something interesting to me. Instead of taking after his father, he takes after his father-in-law. The reason I believe all that is when you go through here is because his wife, who was a pagan, had great influence on him. And as I, I've told you young people many times, when you marry somebody, don't just marry somebody because they come to this church. We have many people that come to this church that aren't Christians yet. You want to marry somebody that's full on for God. You marry an ungodly person, it's going to affect your life. And this is what happened. So exactly what God had said, God said to the Israelites, you marry a pagan for a wife, the wife will introduce the pagan worship to your nation, and because of that, you will have a downfall. That's exactly what happened. Verse 7, Nevertheless, because of the covenant of the Lord, the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. So what that simply means is this, God was still going to bring, and you'll see much of this at the end of our teaching tonight, out of this whole nation of Israel was going to come the Messiah. God had made a covenant that that would take place, the divinic covenant, and it would not change. As, as evil as they would get, now you're going to see later they're going to go into bondage, they're going to go into captivity, he will not destroy them, because out of that is going to come the lineage, one from David, who's going to be the Messiah. So notice what he says here, and I think it's really neat. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants. In other words, in other words through all of that darkness, there would be a little light that would be shining. And what do we know Jesus in the book of John is known as? The light of the world. Isn't the Bible incredible when you go through it? See, and just as you read that tonight, it's like, oh, the light goes on. And in our dark world... Why are we still here as Christians? To be a light. See, the Holy Spirit is still in us. The restraining force, the individuals, the Christians, hasn't been taken away. Now, when we get raptured, side note for you tonight, extra points if you understand it. When we get raptured, the restraining force, the Holy Spirit, basically is going to be here, but the church is gone. So you talk about, you hear the term today, all hell's going to break loose? It's gone. The reason it hasn't totally is we're here. We're the restraining force. The Holy Spirit in us tonight is the restraining force. We're still that, that light. Now, why else would he follow his father-in-law evil than he would follow his father godly? It's because our sin nature 
is very powerful in us. Our flesh tonight is everything we are minus God. It's easier tonight to be selfish than it is to be giving without God. You and I will always lean to our flesh. Always. It's because of our sin nature. It's, our, it's evil. It's not good. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. When you look at this situation, you think, well, I, 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 I would never be negative like that and go follow that negative influence rather than the godly influence. Well, you have to be careful. The only way you can do that is if we say no to our flesh. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. So there's three steps. Let's review them tonight. If you want, you can just write these down. I'll give you the three steps. If, why don't we just uh, flip over to Romans chapter 6. Let's look at them quickly. In other words, we have that sin nature in us tonight. We see it coming here. We see it so prevalent. How, how, do, I, how do I get rid of that sin nature? How can I follow the godly pattern rather than the, the ungodly pattern? Three ways. Three steps of saying no to our flesh. Now, you can't do this unless you're a Christian. But when you are a Christian, then you certainly can do this. The first step is to know that we are no longer under sin's control. In other words, when I become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in me and gives me the power to say no to that situation in my life. And by the way, I always need that ability because I am tempted all the time, as you are, with all kinds of things in my life. Romans 6, 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died spiritually to the old nature has been freed from sin. So I can't say to God tonight, once the Holy Spirit comes in me, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make me do it. Now he tempted me to do it. And I can say to God, I can't help myself. Yes, I can. Because God is in me. To enable me to say, no, I have the power within me. Now, it's one thing to have the knowledge of that. It's another thing to say no. So that moves us to the next step. And that's found in verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first step is to know I'm not under the sin's power anymore. The second step is to count or reckon or accept as true. It's faith. If God's word says, I have the power to say no to whatever temptation is, then I have to believe God's word. Over what anybody else would say, whatever Satan would say to me, I believe God's word. And the reason I'm talking about these is, remember, Peter says to us in 1 Peter 5.8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now he'll get us with all kinds of things of the flesh. He knows our weakness. He knew exactly what Jehoshaphat did. And if I say to you tonight the besetting sin, the air that some for some of you it's anger, for some of you it's jealousy, some of you just talk too much, some of you it's lust. I mean, there's all some of it's money. You know what it is. Some of it's power. 
You know what that is. And the enemy will say to you, well, that's all right. Just, you know, that's just you. And yeah, it is you, but that's not the you I want. It's the old you. I'm dead. So I have to continually know. I have to continually reckon. And then we go back to verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead. So I just count myself dead. And that's where we come back to what you were going to talk about a while ago. You guessed it, but you were just guessing early. We walk around then fully alive with what kind of feet? You got it! Well, what does that mean? When I count myself dead, it doesn't mean you when we come here and when we say we have power over sin, that we walk around like this, can't do anything, serve God, pretty tough thing. There's no joy, there's no happiness, but I'm dead to sin. Actually, you're dead to everything when you walk like that. <laughs> and nobody will be excited about seeing you serve God. So I, I'm not that way. I'm fully alive. Are you fully alive tonight? In the Spirit of God. Because God has changed me. And I have victory over sin. That's a powerful thing to be able to say. Look at verse 12, our third step. And we yield ourselves to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So I just don't do it. I know, I reckon, and then I yield myself. Verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer or yield yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. In other words, yield all of myself to God. Don't present myself to God. Don't get myself in sinful situations. And that's back to, I won't even time to go there tonight, uh, Romans uh, chapter 12, living sacrifices. I just don't get myself. TV, you just don't get yourself in that place where it's going to be like that. You get in a situation where you think the anger is going to come, just... Excuse yourself and remove yourself away from it. Don't yield your body to the area where you know is weaknesses. So that means we have to play smart. We have to be smart with ourselves. Now, yielding is a matter of our wills. It's our will. So when I learn to crucify my nature, it's dead. I know, I reckon, and I yield. And then this is why the Christian life is then the most exciting life in all the world. Because Galatians 525 says this, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step. What kind of step? With the Spirit. See, that's why the joy of the Lord is our strength. You love God, don't you? And as you worship, you realize in spite of this, things are going to get worse. This is not the end. So we can still be happy. We can still have peace. You're going to see this tonight because God is in control. Doesn't mean we enjoy all this, but who would think in a bus? We don't even know all that stuff, but just relax because it's okay. We can still walk in the Spirit. And when He's done with us, we're out of here. We'll be praising around the throne. It's okay. In today's teaching, we heard about the necessity of leaving a legacy to our children. Not an inheritance of wealth or an important name, but a godly heritage. As we heard, in having that relationship, we have to say no to our flesh. 
Pastor Mark outlined a few steps in achieving that goal, understanding we're not under sin's control, accepting His Word as true, and yielding every part of our lives to the Lord. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866 866- Seven seven nine three four four one. That's eight six six seven seven nine three four four one. Or log on to lessonsforlivingradio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll hear what happens to Jehoram and Judah as he continues down his rebellious path with no intention of turning to the Lord. It will be clear how living outside of God's loving instructions will only result in our own destruction. We'll take comfort in the fact that the Lord is in control of not only everything that happens to us, but what happens in the world as well. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.